Appreciate you tuning in. I'm Will Levice. And I'm Eric Claville. And you tune in to the Levice and Claville. Smart talk without all the noise, breaking down the Black issues you care about with real facts, telling it straight from a college-educated, streetwise, Black male perspective. Because to us, that's simply how it is. Today's show, expectations of the Biden-Harris administration. Uh, Dr. Bill, I got to tell you, um, as optimistic as I would like to be, <laughs> my um, the reporter in me who covered politics, covered crime, covered a variety of beats, the Gen Xer in me tells me that, uh, yes, there will be some differences from this previous administration because coming out of the Trump administration, you can't go nowhere but up. <laughs> right. But um, I am not as, um, I guess I'm cautiously, let me say, optimistic about what is actually going to get done because you still got the political gamesmanship environment that has been going on for the past, geez, dating back to, let's be honest, dating back to Clinton. And um, Newt Gingrich, you know, between yeah. the Democrats and the, and the Republicans going back and forth, jockeying, win at all costs. And when you look at the time that Biden is going to have to get things done, um, he's got essentially two years because there will be a yeah. midterm election. He's up in age, not that his age, and I'm not talking from an age discrimination perspective, but I'm just talking from a reality that he's yeah, it's an age reality. He's an age reality, and you've got a fifty percent of the country is voted for the other party. Right. So there's a high incentive for the Republicans to do whatever they can to continue right. business as usual and not really be bipartisan and get some critical things done. For the country, so so change up my, convince me, bro, convince me, change up my optimism, <laughs> my cautious optimism. Yeah, well, will I can't change your op, your cautious optimism. Bordering on outright pessimism, might as well just be yeah. honest with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, will I, I I can't change it because I share it, mm. right? But I share a realistic view of how things work, how the world works, how politics works. You know, I'm a realist but I'm realistic about my optimism, mm -hmm. right? And with that being the case, I believe that, first of all, the Biden-Harris administration is a blessing for America and the rest of the world as it relates to stability of process. Mm -hmm. Stability of process. Remember, Trump came in office and destroyed, absolutely destroyed the process to which government works. You know, there's no, there were no checks and balances. It was just confusion and chaos. You know, there was no respect. There was just, uh, he created just an evil, even, even a more discriminatory environment where hatred could, could thrive. Uh, he did that through the administration. The lack of appointments, keep in mind that the president himself can come in and have thousands of presidential appointments within agencies and even within the White House administration. Many of those were left unfilled. Right. In large part, 
no, everybody was warned against going in there because of the corruption that was at the door. And, you know, that held true. You know, right now we see so many people that quit, so many people that have good men and women through in government, in military, that came through and simply quit because it was such a toxic environment to work. But, but Eric, but isn't it true, though, that prior to his administration, people would have still described government in the same way? That it was toxic. I don't think so. And it was people, there's this confusion. No. You're not getting anything done. You got to do nothing, Congress. So we're going no. from total, we're going from reality, reality TV confusion yeah. and toxicity to back to the normal establishment toxicity. So, I mean, what, what is, how is that beneficial? So, Will, I think that's part of disinformation, right? So, yeah. Are you going to have toxicity with both parties? The answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Are both parties going to agree that the answer is absolutely not? But can both parties come back, in the words of the now deceased John McCain, and operate in regular order, you know, normal order, normalcy? And that's what I'm talking about. Having, you know, intellectually engaging, fact-driven debates on the floors of Congress, in the House and Senate. We didn't get that. What we got was uh, basically stump speeches. And a lot of a lot of individuals on the Republican side, the GOP, operating out of fear. As a matter of fact, you know, a lot of individuals, uh, Republicans, they fear what the president can do, hmm. Trump can do, as it relates to their constituencies to come after them. Right. We put in the airport, you know, videos of Mitt Romney, videos of Lindsey Graham, people going after them in the airport, saying, "Why don't you support the president?" You know, these people have lost their absolute minds. They are they are vicious. They're violent because they understand that the, that whatever they do, the system is not going to give them uh, the punishment that it will give someone like you and me or others that are advocating for social injustice. Right. So they're emboldened by that. Right. So so what the Biden Harris administration will do, first of all, it's going to bring stability and the operation of regular order enormously of government, both domestically and internationally. And I want to touch on international. You know, the other thing what Trump did, his administration, he decimated the relationships uh, across our neighbor with our neighbors in Canada and in Mexico. Not only that, but he added uh, toxicity and distance uh, the United States from our allies in Europe. And we know that our allies in Europe and us supporting the military bloc against the former Soviet Union, uh, Trump's friend, Vladimir Putin, is needed in that area so that the Soviet Union won't rise again the way that it was. And in addition to that, he's also gone into a financial tariff and trade war and a cybersecurity war uh, with China. And we've ignored all the other countries around the world on the continent of Africa, the continent of South America, the lesser and greater Antilles of the Caribbean, and also in Southeast Asia and also the South Pacific, in order to give them uh, assistance so that we can have good favor with them. And China has filled that void. So, you know. But, Eric, but all that is good. But if the current prior to Trump, system is toxic right and folks felt it wasn't working for them how do you reconcile that going back to because i understand restoring order is needed yeah. 
and no, or normalcy, but how does going back to something that wasn't working and many people felt wasn't working, which is why they went to Trump in the first place, how does the, the prospect of going back give us reason to be encouraged? And especially when you talk about going back to a politician who has been around for God knows how long. He's got a long <laughs> record of having been around, and he was representative of that type of governing that yeah. so many people felt was not working yeah. for him. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I've got this cautious optimism that's bordering on pessimism because I'm not seeing where, okay, if we go back to that environment as opposed to going forward into something yeah. different, into something better, into something that was an improvement on where we were. Now, I'm, I'm looking at it to improve on the past four years. That's such a low bar. Right. You, I mean, you, how can you not improve on the past four years? Right. I'm looking at the past, the previous eight years, the previous eight years of Bush before that, that led us down this road. And is the Biden-Harris administration going to achieve that? You know, what, what? Well, well, Will, listen, I'll say we can't put the world on his shoulders and say, listen, you've got to not only correct the, first, the last four years, and the, not just that, but you've got to change the way Washington and democracy has been working or are thought to have worked for the people overnight. I think what Joe Biden is going to become, he's going to become the modern-day LBJ. The reason why I say that is because if you look at the time period of LDJ and the assassinations that took place of both John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, um, Dr. King, Malcolm X, and how the country went through the long, hot summer uh, of protests, okay. uh, that mirrors what we're in right now. And it really took Joe Biden, uh, I mean, it really took LBJ those years that he, he had left in uh, the administration to, to turn the tide and say, listen, we've got to pass this civil rights legis legislation. We've got to get corporations on board. We've got to get cities on board, municipalities, to say we can't go through this again, right? And if we can't go through this again, we have to, we have to ensure that our country goes into a more progressive path. And I think that's what Joe Biden is going to end up being, you know, for this particular four years. Now, of course, in politics, people are ambitious, right? Absolutely. So, look, and and if you're in politics and you're not ambitious, um, I don't know why why you're why why you're in there. Ambitious but, as in selfish, as ambitious as in self preservation, ambitious as in he's got this year that is going to be about cleanup and trying to even find yeah. out the the um, using the exterminator to try to find out all of the bugs and roaches and rats that have been yeah. put into government. So that gives him, you, you basically say, okay, 2021 is going to be about that. Now, yeah. 2022 is what? Isn't that a midterm election yeah. year? So now what is the incentive on the side of the Republicans? And what is the, when you talk about people being ambitious and thinking about their self-preservation, what is going to be the incentive now in 2022 coming in a midterm election where the possibility of swinging the, the House, swinging the Senate comes back into play? 
What's going to be the incentive to be bipartisan? You mentioned the time of LBJ. Well, in, in that climate, you had more bipartisan possibilities, bipartisan type politicians in, in play. You also had a nation that had just dealt with the assassination of a beloved president. So you had, you know, the Vietnam War going, you had a lot of disarray going on, but you had a climate that I think was more conducive to people trying to figure out how yeah. to a path forward that involved us together. You had less people on either side of the party that were so afraid, as you said, of making a decision that uh, would cost them an election yeah. immediately. So we're in this, though there are similarities, we're in this climate that's such that I see after Biden and Harris spend this first year just doing cleanup and trying to find yeah. out where they need to spray the bug spray at, they're going to be facing a second year midterm election where there's going to be no incentive. It's going to be all about people campaigning and just jockeying and trying to stone. Well, well, Will, first I have to disagree with you. It's not going to be the first year. It's going to take the entire four years to start cleaning up mm -hmm. the mess that the Trump administration left and the carnage. It's, going to, it's, it's actually going to be even, even even longer. Well, I agree with that. I mean, I'm saying that that this first year, they're going to, there's going to be so much oh, yeah. about that yeah. this first year. And now they'll be coming into a midterm. So hey, well, I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I agree. I, I agree. I mean, that's the, the first year is focused cleanup. Just like any, like you, if you have a hurricane to come through, you know, you can't talk about anything else but clean up the mess first and then we can start over, right? Start rebuilding. So the number one thing that they're going to have to do is, of course, I mean, we'll talk about it in just a moment about COVID and the economy and mm -hmm. so forth. That be, that, those are some major issues. But as relates to government, you know, as, in the four years of a presidential uh, election, the first term, the first 100 days is the most important. Mm -hmm. The first, what you do in the first 100 days sets the course and the foundation for what's going to happen in the next four years. And then you have 18 months within that 100, 100 days, 18 months right. to where now, whatever legislation you're going to push, you got to get it done because you've got Congress that's turning over every two years. You've got one third of the Senate as being going through election every every two years. So with that being the case, you now have the most power in the first 100 days and 18 months of your administration. That also includes the second four year, the second term, if you're lucky enough to get it right. Right. Everyone else is going to start jockeying for position to take your position as president or in whatever um, uh, committee uh, seat and whatever position in the House and the Senate uh, that you can get. So, you know, I want to move to policy in just a moment. But before we do, I want to just say that again. Biden and Harris are going to have to first bring order, normal order and regular order to our society, domestically and internationally. That's number one. So you're saying, essentially, what I'm hearing you say, too, and I tend to agree with you on this, is that whatever they're going to do, they got to get it done now in this first year while they have yeah. a Democratic House and Senate. They've got to actually, whatever they is they going to do, if it's going to be infrastructure and buy whatever the case, got to get it done. It's got to happen now because got to get it done. Uh, got to get it. Done. 
So what's the likelihood? What do they need to do? And how do you see the other party uh, participating in helping them get things done? <laughs> well, get the other party. If, if I'm a Democratic uh, advisor, I say forget the other party because they forgot you. And what you have to do is when you have power, use it because you never know where you're going to get it again. Mitch McConnell showed us, showed, you know, that. He was the epitome of that. He did not care about the rules. If the rules didn't fit what he wanted to do, he changed them. And his goal, even after Robert Bork hearings, even after uh, the um, more specifically Clarence Thomas hearings, his goal was to pack the court. That was his goal. And he achieved it. That took years to get it done. But being a, a very strategic tactician of politics, you know, you have that you have that patience. And that's what he's shown. Now, what Chuck Schumer has to do in the Senate, uh, Nancy Pelosi in the House, and Joe Biden in the White House, you have to forget the other side and, and implement those 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 measures, those policies, those bills, the stimulus, the infrastructure package that's going to help everybody. Because when everybody eats, everybody's happy. And that's what that new stimulus bill and package and infrastructure bill has to do. Get people back to work, give opportunities, equitable, equitable opportunities for African-Americans, for women, for, for other people of color to operate fully, okay, in the, in the business financial system of America. And at the end of the day, they have to pay the debts to the black vote that got them into the office. So we got to keep that at the forefront as well. Yeah, that, that's the concern that I have is that I think on paper, I think they all understand that rationale of what you said about putting in policies that enable things to work for the majority of Americans. I mean, I remember Barack Obama, President Obama's um, famous statement was a rising tide which all boats. Right. But you know, as a political consultant, that... Politics is about bringing home the bacon for your constituents, right? your specific <laughs> constituents. So, again, the jockeying that's going to be going on amid all of this policy talk is how do I bring something home for my people, for individuals? And, and it, right. so somehow Joe Biden, the administration is going to have to, as you said, put forth policies that enable people to buy in based on knowing that their mentality is going to be, hey, I, I only want to get in for what's something that's going to benefit my people. And so you got that whole give and take of, okay, yeah. in order to get that done, now you got to throw something else into the bill that <laughs> people may, on, the, on another side, are not going to like. So he's got this big sure. argument between the progressive wing of the, of the party, the Democratic Party, and the, you know, more moderate and the progressives that want him to go much farther than uh, his instincts were. I, I just don't, I just don't see in his history how he's going to effectively navigate this now. Well, 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 you bring up a very important point because AOC, Senator Bernie Sanders have been ringing the alarm with this issue. Now, you don't want to be like uh, Mitch McConnell and the GOP when Trump came to office and their, their promise, remember, they ran on repeal and replace. Remember that? 
Yeah. It's like so, so long ago because so much has happened in the Trump administration. But they ran on the mantra of repeal and replace Obamacare. When they finally got power in the White House, in the Senate, and the Supreme Court, you know what they said? We're not interested in that anymore. Hmm. So in essence, they were saying that there was nothing wrong with Obamacare, right? You know, and the, the, the hypocrisy of campaigns and stump speeches and the hypocrisy of what they stood for was number one, right? So with that being the case, I think that what we have to do, we have to do is ensure that the Democrats don't ignore the progressives of their party, the progressives that actually moved the needle forward, that got on board, that did not split the Democratic ticket and the party in order to elect Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Now, if they do that, by passing policy uh, that help, for example, uh, making community college free and affordable based upon the Pell Grant, mm-hmm. uh, for forgiving uh, student loan debt for individuals who, are, who, who actually have paid for years. I certainly would love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And actually, I think student loans is a dichotomy. I don't think to go to college, you shouldn't give a loan. Mm-hmm. It should be a grant. And I think also because when you have an educated society, society wins. But at the same time, at the same time, I think what you're looking at is restructuring how student loans operate. I think after a person graduates, I think if they pay for 10 years, I think the rest of their student assistance, financial assistance, should be forgiven or even less, right? Now, not just student loans, but also health care. We have to in, continue to improve uh, the American, uh, the, the Obamacare uh, uh, for Americans because that's the number, that's the number one issue during COVID that's going to cause individuals to rise or fall financially and also in this economy. And, and then lastly, Will, I think that we have to answer the call for, for social injustice, social equity that the summer of Black Lives Matter has shown us, and the violent mob and insurrection of, that show racial double standards have exemplified in the call for uh, awakening and an addressing of social injustice in our country. You know, I, I agree with all of those points that you said. What I'm struggling with is I don't see in Joe Biden's history, I don't see a person who would be able to deliver on that. Um, if past performance is an indicator, possible indicator of future results. And I think that's where my pessimism comes in. Now, perhaps he was in his past navigating the sort of uh, uh, moderate uh, lane between Republicans, Democrats, progressives, conservatives, so forth, because his goal was to become president. Right. And now that he is president, maybe, and he's at the, you know, in the fourth quarter of his life, there is no need to do what he feels he needs to do to be liked or to uh, get himself <laughs> to the next um, position on the chessboard because, you know, his end goal was to become the president and he's achieved that. Right. But 
recently, you know, there was a you know tape that was released where he's talking to black leaders about um, you know issues and again speaking very much in the tone that's more similar to his history and than it is to someone who understands what's truly fully at stake, understands where we at as a nation and how, as I mentioned earlier, it's not about just improving or going back to normalcy prior to Trump, but it's actually going back in my mind is actually going back and looking at what was wrong and what wasn't working that led to Trump that we need to improve upon so that we never have a Trump type experience again. And I just don't see that. I mean, I wonder about what, what you, what your take is on that conversation that he had with the uh, black people. Yeah. But you know, before I go to that, those league tapes and the conversations that took place with um, traditional civil rights leaders, I want to say that, you know, the way, keep in mind, you know, Joe Biden has operated across different decades and in every decade, America has changed. Mm -hmm. I don't think we can hold that against him, and I don't think we can hold that against anyone, especially when you evolve, right? You know, and yeah, I think has that he, has he has he evolved? Uh, that's what I'm asking. I think so. I, I think so, and I think that his experiences, being able to work across the aisle, you know, at the time with uh, Southern segregationists, uh, and then fast forward, he's worked with uh, as Vice President for Barack Obama, the first Black president. Um, I think it shows that he is the man for the time, and he is the man for the job. The question becomes, Will, and you you, you bring it up and address it, uh, can, will he do it, right? And it goes back to us holding our elected officials accountable for the issues that they ran on to do the things that they need to do for the people, right? So let's go to those discussions with the traditional civil rights organizations. Um, you know, that, again, shows that as much as we change, some things remain the same. So if we're going to have true change in our country and true change for African-Americans, we're going to have to continue to push and hold him, uh, his feet to the fire, hold the administration to the fire so that true change can, can come. Now, unfortunately, that's the burden of African-Americans. Mm. Unfortunately, that's the burden of our people. But if you look at where we've come from, right? And this is the season where we have an opportunity to reflect upon one of our greatest uh, civil rights leaders, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And also with Black History Month. Now we have these opportunities to reflect on how far we've come. And you know that's nothing to sneeze at because I believe Black people in America are the moral marker for morality. I agree with across that. I agree with that. You know, the way America treats its black people is the way the world sits up and take notice and, and say that I have permission to do this or that. And, and as African-Americans and black people in America, we are the inspiration of all oppressed people in the world. Well, I mean, if you look at the great contributions that we've had and that we continue to have in society, I think it speaks volumes. It speaks volumes to the uh, perseverance of African-Americans. It speaks volumes to the optimism of African-Americans, and it speaks volumes to the will that we continue to work toward of harmony and humanity in the country that we built, our ancestors built, 
bled and died for and that the rest of the world can see. Well, as we wrap, one of the things that I think Black people need to do, because we always want to end this show talking about what Black people need to do, advice we need to do, is we've got to look at this country, look at this system and claim it as our own, because it is, as you said, our ancestors bled and died for it. Uh, we need to be uh, patriotic because I know when I go overseas, my passport has clout. Uh, unlike if I was coming from um, some other country, I don't want to name and disparage a country, but I think that when you put those two combinations together, you understand that this is our country too. And, That's right. and people are fighting for this country. And that tells you something, that this is a country that's worth fighting for. So I think that we need to stay engaged and fight for our country. What do you think Black people need to do? Well, I, I, I put an exclamation point behind everything that you just said. Uh, take the position that this is our country. We built it uh, with our labor for 247 years. We built this country um, our, our, with our talents, with our sweat, with our blood, with our tears. And we were the caretakers of those that rule this country as well. Take a look at the contributions that we have given. Take a look at the opportunity that we have and keep pushing and keep striving for excellence in every aspect and facet of life. Because we come from great people and great stock and it's our responsibility to continue that legacy. Well, that's another wrap for this edition of the LaVisa and Claville. Special thanks to our producer, Ben Bailey. Keeps everything right and tight behind the scenes on the controls. Get back with us as we discuss Black issues in order to empower you and all of us to do the things that we must do to thrive. And follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and our website at lavisandclaville.com. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us or any ideas for shows and topics at lavisandclaville at gmail.com. Because at the end of the day, that's the way it is. See you next time.